Winston Churchill once said, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Get ready to be inspired. This is the Big Fish Cares Podcast. Big Fish Cares Podcast. Whether it's business, life, financial, relationships, we're sharing stories and journeys to help inspire you to be optimistic and to take action. No matter the hurdle in life, you can do it, and we're here to help. Welcome to the Big Fish Cares Podcast, and here's your host, Benny Fisher. Have you ever heard of a talent optimization expert? That's who I have on the show today. A friend of mine who I've just recently met, Brian Alexander, works with leadership teams and companies to improve their team health and to find um, the optimal recruits and talent for your business. I want to welcome you to the show, Brian. Thanks for coming, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. How the heck do you get into something like talent optimization? So um, hiring a lot of wrong people owning, you know, when I owned my own business and I did business consulting actually and coaching for other small businesses. So I owned my own small business and I coached other small businesses. And uh, essentially I just kept making mistake after mistake after mistake. And I had to kind of look in the mirror and say, okay, well, you know, is, is it everyone that's failing me or is there something missing? Am I failing them in some way, shape or form? And that uh, that hard look in the mirror led me to understand, like, oh, okay, <laughs> it's not necessarily always their fault. Uh, I I'm just putting the maybe the right people into the the wrong seats and not setting them up for success, or maybe just not understanding how to how to work with them as unique individuals. I would kind of treat everybody as as I would want to be treated, and I said, you know, do it the way I do it. That's how I've always been successful, and uh, came up short. So it forced me to look in the mirror and really kind of reevaluate how I led people. Yeah, you can definitely do that for a period of time. It'll get you by through the startup phase, I feel like. But after you get past, you know, your first uh, ten hires, uh, it becomes really challenging. And I think, feel like, at least for me, I hit my head up against the wall a few times trying to figure out, like, wow, like you know, they don't all like you know commission checks and bonus money. <laughs> you know, like some people just want a good old pat on the back. You know, like and That's I didn't under, I didn't understand that because I thought like. Well, everybody likes money, right? So just, you know, like, let's have a high-performing commission structure. Let's set up a bunch of big goals because, you know, my background in sales, you know, that's kind of how I was wired. So um, it's interesting to see uh, the development as leaders and entrepreneurs that we realize that uh, we got to figure out a different way to build teams. I think um, one of the other things that uh, I – Oh, struggled with was trying to figure out why you mentioned right people, right seats. Uh, I want to know why, how did you, where did you come up with that term? And like, did you ever have a situation where you had someone in the wrong seat, but they were the right person? Yeah. I mean, uh, starting with myself as a a business owner, I think you're, you're familiar with um, the Colby index, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, You know, six, two, nine, two. That's right. Okay, six two nine two. I'm I'm a five four eight three, and during that long hard look in the mirror, um, I was kind of like the everything. I was the operator. I was the visionary, uh, the integrator, and I was just running myself ragged. And, and wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a life changing book. That and Rocket Fuel. Oh, that's that's my favorite book. Yeah. So while um, while I was running myself ragged. 
you know, even though I, I was, I was skating by, I was, I was a decent integrator. I was a great visionary and I was just kind of like doing everything. And, but I was exhausted and I was miserable and, uh, you know, and, and I missed details and, you know, the whole nine of not being an integrator there. Were, I just didn't have the great attention to detail, but I just keep doing it. And I had to kind of say, okay, well, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm in the right seat as the, the leader of the organization and the CEO. Um, but I'm not an integrator by any means. I'm a visionary CEO and I'm going to have to find somebody to fill my gaps. And, you know, luckily, um, I used some data with the Colby Index to be able to do that and solve some of those problems. Um, and it was like a night and day difference. The switch went off. I became happier, lighter. I began, you know, be, I was a better visionary because of it, because I wasn't being dragged down be, by the details of the integration and all of that. And, um, you know, putting somebody into that seat that thrives in that role really just opened things up for me. And then as I saw that kind of work and play out, this was back in about 2016, uh, I began kind of teaching everybody else that within the business coaching realm or at least uh, um, exposing them to the idea. Because in, in our world, in the small business world, you know how that is, uh, the owner and operator tries to do it all and it's mm. very difficult to, to pass things off, right? That's where, like, I would say probably 99% of small business owners in America probably are sitting. Yeah. Um, that's, the, that's the one downside to America, right? Like, everyone can be a business owner. The problem is not everyone's actually a real business owner. Some people just have jobs. There's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of small business owners, I'm sure you know, that actually work more hours for themselves and get paid less than they would if they worked for someone else. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a cra crazy phenomenon. Um, but like, because it's so easy to have a small business in this country, um, you're going to see a lot of you know different kinds of businesses, right? There's going to be ones where the owner doesn't have to be there all the time. There's going to be the one where it's only the owner, you know, uh, the solopreneur. I, I feel like is what that's called. Yeah. Um, but the true entrepreneur, the way I look at it, the way I've always envisioned it, is. Like, can you start a company, can you hire all the people, and then can you go sit on an island somewhere for a year, and can you check back in and everything still be going okay? Right. That, to me, is like a real entrepreneurial, successful business, because that's a business, right? Like, that's the business. Like, for instance, someone like, I don't know, like, it, if Apple, I mean, it's been proven, Steve Jobs died, guess what? They're still going. Right. Like, that's a real company, right? Like, it just it kept on going. And some yep. may say it's better off. Sometimes it's, they say it's better off without the, the founder or the owner always sticking his beacon where he shouldn't be, right? Usually it is. Usually it is. The, the people that got you to where you are usually aren't the people that will get you to where you need to go, including the founder, um, in most cases. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you, you're probably familiar with the Steve Jobs story, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, they fired him. You know, the board came in. He took all the public money, and then you know, next thing you know, he got voted out. You know, he wasn't he wasn't able to be CEO of his own company. That's went right. To, went to Pixar, you know, and built. I think there was, you know, he built, uh, you know, all the animation stuff, and 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 then Apple came in. I think he had another c a company called Next. And I think Apple came back in to buy Next. You know, yep. and then Pixar got bought by Disney. Steve Jobs was making money at both places, and right, right, next right. thing you know, like, well, they need Steve Jobs back in the saddle because they needed the ideas and that visionary thinker. Right. Um, to me, that's one of my favorite all-time business stories of all time. 
is the fact that you can start a company in your driveway, in your garage, get fired from your own company, and then they basically beg you to come back, and you then yeah. you make then you make it like just world. I mean, that's that's when before the iPhone came out, they hi, they hired him back, and then next thing you know, you came out with the iPhone, right? Or the iPod. Right. I'm sorry, the iPod, which led to the iPhone, right? There was a great uh, biography. I forgot what, what the the name of the author was, uh, uh, but it was a biography. Walter Isaacson. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, I'm like a nerd when it comes to that. Nice. Like he, he's probably my favorite visionary because he's the one that I kind of can like relate to because like it was I grew up in the '90s. You probably grew up in the '90s, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we know what that's like. Well, how'd you get your start? When did you get your when did, when did you uh, start your first business? So, um, yeah, gosh, when I was 23. Uh, 22, me and some friends opened like a nightclub and a lounge. Like a, it was a restaurant, nightclub, and lounge uh, in a very kind of up and coming area of Chicago called the uh, Restaurant Row, Randolph Street. And uh, it was my first dive into entrepreneurship. You know, you talk about working 18 hours a day or something like that. That was that was exactly what that was. Um, but marketing, you know, promoting, you name it, you had to do kind of it all. It was a crash course. You know, I joke around, uh, never graduated college, but I got my MBA from the school of hard knocks of, of life and business by myself. So started at an early age. And then, um, I went into the corporate world after that and did pretty well in, in sales, selling B2B technology, uh, to healthcare organizations. So built like a $40 million book of business. And then I ended wow. up falling in love with, um, believe it or not, we were talking about health a little bit earlier, but I was a little out of shape and kind of living the the happy hour life within, within the corporate world. Uh-huh. And so I started doing CrossFit while I was working at that job. I was at CDW doing really well. Um, and I started doing CrossFit, lost a ton of weight, and I just became obsessed with it. So I opened a CrossFit gym uh, while I was working at the corporate job. And eventually the, the CrossFit gym just kind of blew up and became an amazing kind of fast growing thing. So I left the corporate job to do that. In the meantime, we had some kids along the way, bought a second location, started coaching, you know, hundreds of other CrossFit gyms. Um, and, you know, it was an amazing experience. I learned a lot. And that's exactly where I found all the talent optimization stuff because it was a missing link. We taught all the systems and all the processes to these CrossFit gym owners. And um, what I noticed was after like a thousand calls with these people over the course of four or five years, we kept running into the same problems and it was always people problems. It was never like the guy didn't just read my SOP or the SOP wasn't good enough. Like it was never that it was always people problems. Right. And you know, I had my own people problems that I had to deal with and it just really kind of made me rethink like, okay, what if we just start with people first, get the right people into the right seats and then not worry as, as much about like how they do it all. Cause if you put the right people in the right seats, yeah, you know, chances are they're far better at it than you would ever be. So how can you tell them how to do something when you're hiring them to do it better than you can do it, right? Yeah, when, I mean, did you know about right people, right seats before you read the book Traction? Or, like, did when when did the two, like, you know, like, or did you just always know that? Or did you read that book and then all the light bulb clicked on? Or what was your It, it was rocket fuel that the light bulb clicked. Sure, yeah, rocket fuel traction, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all in the same, in the yeah. same family, but... Visionary integrator. That was like the the aha moment. And then I immediately went to go take the, the Colby index test. I made my wife take it and I let her read it. And I'm like, you know, this explains me better than I can ever explain myself. It's what I've been trying to tell 
all my team members and my wife and anybody I've ever worked with, like, this is what I do well, but I could never really find the words to articulate it. Or I just thought I was kind of making excuses and being lazy. Like it sounded like I, I just didn't want to do the, the work, the detailed work, the right? hard, boring work. Yeah. Yeah. The hard, no. boring work, the um, hard, boring work. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, what makes businesses cool. super successful long term. Right. But it takes that, you know, quick startup, you know, um, person to get it going because the people that can do the hard boring work aren't the same people that can get it started either that's right it's, that's a, it's a fascinating concept and i want i'm learning i'm right in the middle of a company right now i've had it for seven years and yeah man it was like gun i was gunslinger i was blazing it was fun you know and then as soon as i had more than 10 people man i was like like right. stop everything came to a screeching halt i'm like i need help raise yeah. the white flag you know like you know come come save me because like I don't have that same skill level. It's a, it's a different skill level, and um, the hardest part in between there was being able to get the my people. You're right, like you said, getting the people to understand, and then getting the person that was responsible for the business. You know, the the person I was trying to delegate that to to get them to understand how I was, because when you're working with either a partner, or if you you hire someone to kind of like take over, and they don't respect that visionary side of you. Oh yeah. man, that could be a recipe for disaster because that could destroy the culture. Because then there's end arounds. There's people like they're you know, talking about you when you're not around. Be like, oh yeah, he's just at conferences. Oh, he doesn't want to work. He, I'm I'm here doing all the work. Because the first guy that I had running my company, man, it was it was tough. He was a great guy. He uh, he ran uh, ran the numbers right, the spreadsheets. We had more money than ever before. The culture was starting to erode. Because yeah. at the end of the day, I felt like he didn't respect. Um, everything that I was doing, but I also didn't clearly articulate the vision either. So, like, I, right. I take full responsibility for um, not being able to lay it all out there. And then when I read that book, Rocket Fuel, it's like, click, like, bing. Yep. It's like, yep. oh, wow, there's, like, the button, you know, and now it's like I refuse to run any business without abiding by those principles because, like, I need that for my complex brain. I need something simple, like an operating system like that. So that's cool. I kind of want to get back to the to the, to the the what was that first business? The one that you started right after college? What was it like where you started like oh, a nightclub? That was a, a restaurant and lounge. Yeah, uh, restaurant and lounge. Tell me about yeah. that business. Tell me about that. I want to know about the exit of that business. I want to know like how like did it do well? Did you make money? How many partners did you have? What was that like? You know, being young and it was it was exciting. Um, I'll, I'll just say this: I partnered with friends, and uh, it ended up going extremely sideways um there was a ton of back taxes that were, were owed and it, it ended it ended terribly it was uh they siphoned off money and it was a huge learning experience and it actually threw me into this massive massive kind of depression obviously when you know i invested a good amount of money um you know trusted friends to kind of take care of the money aspect of it and i was mm. out there you know wooing uh wooing customers and yeah you were the you were the front man you were like the the face and they're back there and they're back and they probably didn't know any better either you know who knows like i mean i feel like everybody has how many partners did you have it was about it was four four main partners it's hard enough to have a second like one partner let alone four right it it really is and and friends nonetheless yeah and you didn't have an operating system right like it wasn't like you guys had the book traction or eo or rocket fuel to like even you know we just Sounded like a good idea after a night out one night, probably, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you can make 20 grand a night at the bar, you know, it's, but, you know, 
so yeah, we we didn't we didn't have our our operations buttoned up. I think there was a little bit of shadiness going on, or maybe a lot of bit of shadiness going on. Um, but that ended up horribly, completely ruined me. I went into a deep deep depression, and it took a while to climb out of that. Um, but I did, and it was the most uh, expensive lesson. I've ever learned, um, but it stuck with me forever in terms of just not, you know, not ignoring your gut feeling because there was a lot of like red flags mm. <laughs> with it. But I wanted to be the cool nightclub owner, and it was yeah. fun, and you know, you were getting all the the, the girls and like, everything. Yeah, that, everything the, the, the dopamine, the dopamine was getting released on like what you were actually doing, but like on the back end. Yeah, it just like and you didn't know. You don't know what you don't know, right? And I think a lot of people listening. I have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. I feel like a lot of them can get more information and more value out of like learning from other people's mistakes. Is there anything that you can talk about that would be helpful to like you know knowing what not to do or like what happened to your particular situation that could have been avoided or changed or anything like that that you can share with the audience that would be helpful? Yeah, I mean, you know, number one, if you feel like you have a good intuition about things, events, people, uh, opportunities, uh, don't ignore that intuition for the sake of uh, your pride, maybe, number one. Number two, I was just way too young and way too dumb and, and ignorant to know anything about proper partnership agreements and lawyers and you name it, right? I, I just figured they're friends. What's the worst that can happen? I didn't, I didn't know what the worst that can happen was. Um, and uh, so, you know, partnerships are tough. Partnerships are for people extra hard. I'd say uh, if you think you can do it on your own in terms of starting something and then hiring good people, that's probably your, your best bet. Um, you know, believe in yourself more than you, you could think that you could handle and then hire or um, hire coaches if you need it, rather than bringing partners on to fill gaps, because I think that always leads to um, a bit of a mess overall. Yeah, that's so interesting. You also, so it said so you said it went into a, a depression. Were you um, had you gotten married at the time yet, or not? Not yet. So, so tell me about how you tell me about that depression, like because I think we don't guys like don't like to talk about this stuff, right? Yeah. And I feel like it's one of those things where if somebody can hear about someone's story, right, that's going, that, that's willing to talk about it, right, especially, you know, so far in the past, right? How did right. you, how did you climb out? First of all, what did a depression, what does depression feel like? And like, you know, describe depression to me. You know, it's, it's, you're just numb. You know, at that point, everything I understood about, you know, good and bad, good people and bad people, all my axioms were shattered because I couldn't understand how, um, I could be both deceived at the same time as um, manipulated and in all everything that comes with it. Um, so everything I understood about kind of reality and life was turned upside down. Um, and then you just become numb and you just don't want to feel. So you get into drinking a little too much, mm. maybe some rec recreational drugs. To kind of you don't want to think about it. Um, and you just kind of like stay in this, this rut, this negativity, um, you know, the blame, you blame everybody but yourself in the beginning. Mm, yeah. And, uh, you know, that doesn't make it any better. And you begin to become, you know, uh, a terrible person to be around. And then you attract ter terrible people because you are that terrible person. 
And uh, it really does take like uh, hitting rock bottom sometimes to turn your life around or to find some purpose or to wake up and take things a little bit more seriously, I think. Yeah. Um, so it was the best thing that ever happened to me, you know, even though on paper it was definitely one of the worst things and it was painful to go through. But again, hitting rock bottom, I think for me that young, um, kind of got it out of the way and it took away my fear to fail early because I realized like I thought it was the end of the world and you know, while I was in it, it was still the world was ending and you know, but uh, as I got out of it and I did something else and I was successful there, then it was like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's not like, I'm not just a failure. Uh, that failed, that, that certain opportunity failed our situation, but I, I'm not a failure. I, I failed there, but I'm not, I'm not a failure. Identity-wise, right? Right, yeah, identity's a big thing. How long do you think you were at the bottom for? I would say a good, like, year. A good year. Maybe, maybe longer. Did, um, did you have any family or anything that are like any good friends that like tried to like pull you out or were you kind of alone during this time? Like, how did you manage through that time? Yeah, I kind of like pushed away anybody who, who I should have brought closer and I brought in the wrong people closer that I should have pushed away mm. in a sense. How did, um, how'd you, so how talk about the steps about how you came out of that? Like, was it by chance that you got out of it? Like, was it like, did you like, like manifest that did you like did you did you think man this is terrible i gotta figure out something to do did you go buy a book therapy like how'd you get out of it um you know it was kind of like hitting rock bottom and it's happened a couple times in my life but you know i'm not to bring like religion into it but i, I kind of just you know had a, a, a open conversation with god and i said look i need your help um, you kind of sur that surrender mm. uh, motif, right? Where you just you you cannot control it anymore. You can't handle it. It's way out of your control. You just have to let things go. And uh, it was a it was a transform transformational time in my life. And that's actually what led me to get a, a corporate job, which you know, of course, I'd probably not look at it as a positive thing now, but at the time it was something that was able to bring me out of that, right? And kind structure, of, structure, and stability, stuff. right? Like repetition, you know, you don't have to go out and create anymore. You just had to like go show up, let your team support you, right? And it's, yeah. it feels good, right? To like, yeah. you know, have that. And I got to do, you know, in, in the corporate job, it was sales and it was like a hunter role where, you know, mm, yeah. unlimited. I'm like, oh, this is like what I'm good at. Yeah, that tapped the dopamine again. Yeah, yeah, see, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. No, it, was, it was nothing but dopamine. And it's like, oh, I don't have to manage or operate anything. I don't have to think about the details. I literally just yeah. have to go talk to people. Yeah, and, no one's going to steal from you. Like, you don't got to worry right. about it. You just got to just get paid, oh, right? Just go out, close deals, and get paid, right? Yeah, That's, yeah. And I remember, you know, thinking about working at a corporate job, I was embarrassed and uh, you know, working for yourself for so long, and then going to work for somebody else, it was it was not I would say not easy, but um, I ended up doing really well there, and it was a, a good stepping stone. So tell me about your background. Like, where'd you grow up at? Like, what was your family life like? Like, what were your parents like? You know, tell me about the the origins. Yeah, so uh, suburb of Chicago. Okay. Grew up there. So Bulls uh, fan, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Michael Jordan era. Not just a front runner like like I was, right? Like, you know, a kid from no. you know, Canton, Ohio who was like supposed to be a Cavs fan, but like couldn't help right. but for Jordan. 
No, we got to experience the whole Jordan era. You know, I'm, I'm 42 now, so born in 1980. So I, I, I got to experience all of that. It was amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. But middle class, you know, family. My dad was a, a tool and die maker, um, <clears throat> which I can't believe he raised me. He was the most patient man in the world. And to be a tool and die maker, you have to have, like, the most incredible attention to process and detail. And now that I've been able to kind of pick this apart, I gave my dad the Kobe and another predictive index <laughs> assessment that I did. I gave it to everybody I know. Everybody, I right? Like everybody that you know. Hey, by the way, can you take this real quick before I have a conversation? I want to make right. sure I know how to read you. Yep, yep. And going back and validating, like, oh, I knew that was what I liked about you or didn't like about you. Uh, but my dad was, he, he's in, in the predictive index, he's known as a craftsman. And it's um, very high attention to detail, very high attention to process and precision. Um, and, you know, I remember him not letting me mow the lawn because I didn't do it good enough, right? It was like that kind of, Listen, you know, yeah, my my, uh, my stepdad was like that. He wouldn't let me mow the yard. I wasn't allowed yeah. to help him fix the cars. I wasn't really allowed to do anything like that because right. everything had to be perfect. Right. And yeah, my, I was more of a just get it done, good enough. I was a good enough guy, right? Mm, yeah. So that's that's very interesting. Now that I think about it, my stepdad worked at the uh, at the steel mill, and he was in charge of the slitter. So he had the precision cuts, and yeah, yeah, it was probably similar to, similar to what your old man was doing. It's like they I won't know. let us touch anything. <laughs> and now, and now I don't know how to do anything for myself. I, I literally, it almost turned. You know what? That's now that I'm thinking about this with you, it actually probably helped my entrepreneurial journey because I'm like helpless by myself. So like I have to like create something. And then delegate and like delegate and then pay someone to do that and go out and create more income so I can pay yep. someone else to do that. Yeah. So that could be a blessing because like, you know, guys like my dad and probably your dad, they don't want to pay nobody to do anything. No, not at all. They can do everything themselves. I don't care if it takes three months, you know. Yeah. They're, well, they're that three months, that means they're the bottleneck, right? Right. Right. <laughs> they're the bottleneck from mom saying like, did you get that done yet? You know? And it's like. No, I haven't got it done yet because, like, I'm still doing this. I got to do that. It's not like, you know, they work hard and that's – it's almost like a blessing and a curse, right? Because they know how to do everything and they do it well. Right. But they can't get it all done. And then they don't have time to, like, you know, hang out, vacation, spend time with family. So that's so interesting. You mentioned you mentioned the predictive index, and I know we had a call. I don't know a couple months ago, and I was you know I've heard of the predictive index because I'm a I'm an assessment junkie myself. You know I like DISC and Strength Finders and um, you know Colby, and uh, I use a sales evaluation tool. Uh, but I don't know. I'm not that familiar with predictive index. Why don't you share a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so it's, you know, there's like 800 assessments on the market. If you Google, you know, assessments, is, there's just a, an infinite number. Um, there's only uh, a handful of assessments that are actually scientifically validated for pre-hire and selection. Um, so the ones with like scientific validity studies specifically for pre-hire and selection. Um, so only a handful. Colby Index is one. Predictive Index is another one. And there's, there's a couple more out there. They're less known. Um, some are made more for like high-level high executives only, and it's very in-depth, like, you know, 200 question type of thing. Um, predictive index measures something very different than Colby, though. So um, Colby kind of measures uh, how you solve problems while, or how you naturally solve problems while striving and free to be yourself. Predictive index actually measures like drives your, your motivating drives and then the needs and behaviors that you could predict 
that are associated with those drives. Um, so it's really unique in that sense, and it's a very fast five-minute assessment, but it's dead-on accurate. Um, just like when you read the Colby, you're like, oh, so how did they know that? They, they know me. They know me better than I know myself. Yeah. Same thing there. Like, everybody just is blown very away. very empowering. It, it is. It is. And a lot of people are afraid of assessments because they're like, well, I don't want to be put in a box, you know. And uh, But they don't understand them enough to know that, you look, you know, the way I look at um, human behavior, I'm looking for a rubber band that I always have on me, but I don't have it now. But human behavior, I don't care what it is. It could be Colby. It could be Predictive Index. Um, is like a, a, a rubber band in this natural state. And uh, our natural hardwiring is kind of like that rubber band in natural state. And you can stretch that rubber band in any way, shape, or form, but it's under constant tension and energy to keep it there. And when you let go of that constant tenor, uh, uh, tension and energy, it's always going to snap back to its natural state. So when you look at some of these assessments, especially Colby and Predictive Index, that remain the same and stable over test, over test, over test, you can count on that data. You know, look, anybody can do anything. I could do some of the stuff my dad does if I really put all my energy into it, but it's going to take all of my energy to do it and, and continue to do it. Uh, you could tell me, hey, Brian, I'm going to give you a million dollars a year to be a tool and die maker, but you cannot make mistakes. I'd say, no way. I'm not even going to try it. Not even worth my, you know, my energy because I know I'm not wired for that, right? And it's just knowing how you're naturally wired and how you best operate and then putting yourself into positions and then, you know, of course, other people into positions where they can show up and be themselves on a more regular basis, uh, you know, every day, right? Yeah, that's funny you said that about the million dollars. I, I make that same statement all the time about, like, you can't get Ben Fisher to do the same thing over and over again for probably longer than a year, even if you yep. paid me a million bucks. I said, because as soon as I get my first million, I'm going to get bored. I'll probably right. do it for the first million because I can get excited enough about it to like I can focus on it. Right. But right. as soon as you gave me my first check, I'd be like, okay, now what? Yeah, now what? <laughs> no, I have another year of this? Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. You have, to give me five, you have to give me $5 million for year two or $10 million for year that's two right. or something that's like right. that. But that's the only way you can get to but like a lot of people get frustrated because we've all had bosses that don't understand that about us. And like, what do you say to that? Like, I'm sure, and that's what you do, right? You coach leadership teams on, on trying to get them to understand that we're not all created the same, and that's actually a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of leadership development coaching. Um, we do what we call job assessments for specific roles. We'll, we'll create a job target to hire against. So let's say I'm working with a company, uh, working with like a, a laser company, and they have a uh, hunter sales role and an inside sales role, and we create a job target for that company for that hunter role. Mm -hmm. And there's specific behavioral requirements that are like in line with somebody who would be successful in that role. If they have somebody that's not wired in that specific way, we can measure kind of the gaps between who that person is and what the role requires, and then we can predict, okay, these are some of the the behaviors that you might be seeing and when you when you're able to show them objective data um it, it's it's kind of like eye-opening for them even if they don't believe in this and but they start to see it more and more now they have this this data that's showing them something they haven't quite really observed but now they begin observing it and then we can kind of coach the the leader to say hey this person is probably in the wrong seat um, you, we can coach that individual how to stretch on a day-to-day -day basis 
if you think that it's going to be a long-term solution. Or we can say, hey, this is a great team member. Um, maybe they're underperforming because usually that's what happens when you're not in line with your, your, your job requirements from a behavioral perspective. But you can look at other positions in the company and say, hey, John, you know, you're, you're doing well here. How's everything going? And you kind of go through that and you say, we have some other opportunities that I think you're, you might be an amazing fit for. You know, is it something you might want to explore? And then John might match up with the operations, you know, sales operations director or something like that where he's like, oh, Oh, that's actually what I want to be doing. I don't want to be doing this sales stuff, right? But why didn't? But why didn't you know whatever his name was? Why didn't Johnny come up to you and tell you, "Hey, man, sales isn't for me. I need to go into ops." A lot of people aren't self-aware. Number one, um, you know. Number two, they just feel like they could do better, be better if they just try harder. They stick it out, but a lot of times, you know, they end up leaving anyway because it's just not sustainable. So a lot of turnover could be avoided by just getting the right person in the right seat right out of the gates or just diagnose your all your team members and say okay well who are good fits um who aren't aligned with the roles that they're in and and how do we stay in front of it right because if they're a good employee like we know how hard it is to get good employees i don't care what position just good people in general it's it's getting harder and harder so let's keep that guy or girl in the company Let's create like a meaningful career roadmap to get them into something that they might enjoy better, but also be more effective at, right? Yeah, I think that um, you said self-awareness. I feel like everything starts with self-awareness. But most people, I would say, that I interact with aren't self-aware. And I don't even feel like I was self-aware until about two or three years ago when I was struggling with this. And I went down that assessment um, you know, vortex where like yeah. once I got my first one, I was like, oh, like I, I did a disc assessment. That was my first one, right? And it said I was a uh, hundred I and a ninety four D, and I'm like, and like no S and C, and I was like, wow. Well, I was really proud of myself for being super, you know, influential and super dominant, but then I was beating myself up because yeah. I wasn't very steady and I wasn't very, I didn't have like you know the wasn't very conscientious about like you know systems and processes and. So, you know, in America, I feel like we're taught to, like, you know, stick it out, try harder, you know, like you said. Yeah. Like, you know, fight through all the negative. You know, let's, let's not gravitate towards what we're really awesome at. Let's figure out what we're bad at and let's just keep playing in that world for a while. What right, do you right. say? Work on, strength, work on your weaknesses, right? That's like the... Yeah, the, like, it's so backwards, us. right? Like, because, I mean, to me, triple down on your strengths. Find somebody else to do the stuff that you suck at, right? Like, right. why is it so hard... For individuals and teams to like figure that out, it seems like. Yeah, it's just ignorance, right? Pure ignorance. And, uh, you know, if you just crack the whip hard enough, you might get results. You know, I always equate leadership. It's, it's, you can either lead as uh, the conductor of an orchestra or as a puppet master, right? Puppet master is kind of pulling the strings. They might put a little pressure here and, and then put a little pressure there and just keep everyone moving. But the conductor of the orchestra, really only needs one hand to kind of conduct the entire orchestra and everybody's playing the right instrument and you begin to get better outcomes that way. And I think most leaders, you know, I think uh, both get results. That's the problem. You can be a a puppet master and get results and lead with like fear and and all of that. Or you can lead as a conductor of the orchestra and get good results as well. So there's no like negative repercussions for most leaders because they're still getting the results Literally, do they know they're making their team members 
miserable while doing it and people end up leaving. You always hear the phrase, people don't leave the company, they leave the, the manager, right? Yep. And it's so true. I think the tide's turning a little bit with servant leadership and self-awareness and, and all of this. And I, I hope to be a, a part of that as well. It's just, really, it's just, you know, educating people on the differences and how we're hardwired and how that's an, a tremendous thing if, if you get the right people into the right seats and empower people to be more of them themselves. Yeah, there's uh yeah, there's a lot of people that like to rule with the iron fist and I feel like in today's work for, workforce and culture out there, I mean like that's not gonna work anymore. Like at the right. end of the day there's so many options right now for jobs. Uh, I feel like I actually know this for a fact. Like I know some of the people in my you know, in my circles and I know that their leadership and their management styles are very like, oh, you know, hey, do this for, you know, two years straight. And after you do that, then I'll do this. Right. Well, right. listen, man, like if that person doesn't really want to do that and they want to leave your company and go somewhere else where they can get an opportunity a little bit faster because yeah. that's what they want. And like, you know, they're not playing by your rules. I get like, hey, we have to have agreements and we have to you know be able to like, you know, follow through right to a degree. But like, what do you say to those managers and leaders out there that need to add a little bit more flexibility, you know, into their management style? And where do they get training to do that? Yeah, I mean, that's all you know. A lot of what what we do, um, but it's it's got to evolve. Like, it's a it's a candidate's market. It's not an employer's market right now. We all we all see that, and know that, and we're feeling the the repercussions of that. And you know, I joke around. I blame it on on the gig economy because people are after COVID. They're like, well. I can drive an Uber, I can do this, I can do that. Like, what am I doing working at a place that I'm miserable at with a, you know, a, a boss that literally makes me feel like crap every day, right? Um, so a lot of that, you know, we see it a lot. Um, more often than not, toxic cultures, you're going to have that, that toxic leadership style and it just, you know, creeps through the entire culture. So the stuff that we do, you know, it, it really does help kind of create a little bit more empathy and compassion for how good everybody can be if they're in the right seats. Um, and even as an entrepreneur, you know, if you're building a machine, you want to create the parts of the machine to lead as, need as little maintenance as possible. You want to just set it and forget it for as long as you can so you don't have to come in like a whack-a-mole. And, and yeah, well, I don't want oil changes every 5,000 miles, right? Like, make me, right. A car, make me a car that I don't need brakes or oil changes or gas even for that matter. Right. And like, let's <laughs> measure, twice. measure twice, cut once, I say. Um, Louis Simmons is a, a famous power coach. He's like a strength coach. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm. In the powerlifting world, he's an old school guy, but he had a, a saying for lifting weights. He said, you can't build capacity on top of dysfunction. So that goes for, you know, if you can't build capacity in a single role, if there's a, a dysfunction in job fit from the team member and then what the job requires. But then also from a, a organizational culture standpoint, you can't build capacity on a bunch of people that are in the wrong roles. It's just impossible. Yeah, that's one thing. Um at Big Fish, and I gotta adjust my. Uh, there it goes. Um, when I read the book Rocket Fuel, like I had a bunch of awesome people at my company, right? And but we lacked a lot of foundational systems and processes, like where we were being consistent in all areas of the business. Now all my people were good, and we always tried hard, and the customers loved us. Um, but it's taken two years of you, the integrator to come in and then bring in some some other people and 
and really strengthen up that foundation because me, like, I'm like, all right, more revenue. Let's grow. Let's grow. Yeah, he's, yeah. Like, he's like, he's like, Let's, once we get the foundation built, the revenue will come and we'll be able to explode faster. And when he right. said that to me, I was like, I got excited. But then for two years, I'm like, all right, what am I going to do now? Like, yeah, I like looking at your watch. Like, 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 I need something. Well, that's why I started a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, You're let's go. Time. And we just, we just hired a VP of sales, which I'm really excited about. So now we'll have, you know, a marketing manager, a, a VP of sales, uh, operations, finance. Like we're going to have all the different people that you need at the table, right? So that way you're not wearing two hats because I think a lot of times a lot of these people in business, and you have to when you're small, right. but wearing multiple hats can become tricky and complex if the person that's wearing the multiple hats isn't aware of what the different hats are, right? Right, right. If it's not, I mean, it's it's very hard, even if it's crystal clear. Um, it's just difficult to divide your time. Yeah, you can't do that. Like it's, right. like it's, yeah, it's like me trying to like be the, like you know, I love sales, right? I love marketing, you know. But like, I can't. It's really hard for me to pick which Ben am I going to be today. Am I yeah. going to be CEO Ben? Am I going to be salesman Ben? Am I going to be sales manager Ben? Am I going to be marketing manager Ben? Because at least it, like there's little bits and pieces of all of that, right? And it's yeah. especially for uh, for individuals that you know aren't as aware of the situation and even though even i'm aware i'm totally aware and i still can't pull it off so i can't imagine anybody actually being able to pull it off in a in a, in a positive manner right right yeah that's huge and yeah, i think as you're growing the company you take somebody who's reliable dependable and you think you're doing what's best you say hey you're going to take this role on instead of hiring somebody new i'll give you 50 extra grand a year but all of a sudden <laughs> you're paying them 50 grand a year for a full-time job and you're actually, uh, you know, negatively impacting the work that he should be doing in his, his first role. But, you know, it's, it's part of the, the growth process of an entrepreneur to really say, okay, well, maybe it was a, a nice, you know, patch or Band-Aid for the, the short term. But, you know, you hiring a VP of sales, I'm sure, is freeing up a lot of bandwidth for somebody at this point. Oh, like, it's freeing up bandwidth for like three of my people. So we had our top sales producer. Guy sells $4 million a year, $5 million a year. And, you know, we tr we tried to, like, you know, oh, like, hey, oh, yeah, you should be the salesman. Well, the problem with that is is he was, like, really good at sales right. and really enjoyed it and then was trying to do both, right? Because, like, you can't just, like, lose that production, right? So, no. like, and then you can't do both well. No. And then the marketing manager was filling in for kind of overseeing the sales guys. And then the integrator who's running the company is kind of just, it was like running back by committee, Right. And we just weren't, we weren't getting worse, but we weren't getting, like, it wasn't like we were getting exponentially better. Like, there was no focus on it, right? right? And where you put focus, I feel like then is where you can get results, right? And I think that um, being aware of that was crucial. But when companies call you up to come in, like, where are they at in the process? Like, wh why do they call you? Like, do they, is it usually, like, when there's a huge problem or is it more like being, um in front of the issue, like where do most of the business owners, where are they at when they find you? Most of it is um, <clears throat> solving for turnover in a specific role. That's like the, the obvious number one. It's, you know, what we do best. It's our bread and butter and our, our magic sauce, if you will, secret sauce. Um, so it's usually solving for turnover in a specific role or multiple roles. You know, if you have a $100,000 role and it turns over, that actually cost you about 250 grand all in with the tangible and intangibles, interviewing, recruiting, 
uh, onboarding, you name it, right? So you begin to look at some of that, lost production for the team when you lose people. Um, that's like the no-brainer where if they spend 20 grand or 50 grand on a solution that's going to save them from even just turning over one role, it's, you know, the ROI is there. Um, but building teams deliberately, so, you know, even startups, you name it, um, just getting the chance to measure twice and cut once, really. Um, there's so many different things that we could do within all the consulting. But number one now is actually leadership development. So, you know, team members and leaders want to be developed both personally and professionally. And this kind of fills that gap where it kind of solves for both of those problems as well. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different, I guess, reasons and opportunities. But the primary one is hiring problems and people problems. Yeah, which is a ton of right now. So when they call you up, and you know, I don't know if you're the we we'll call you the fixer, right? Like that sounds like a good that sounds like a good yeah. like movie name for you, Brian <laughs> the fixer. Yeah. Uh, what's the process like? What, what when they call you up, you know, you you you, you like you know, do you go in and like start just you know giving assessments to everyone and then start like how do you how do you how do you do it? I mean, just figuring out what they need first. Obviously, it needs analysis. You know, what are the problems? Are you know, I would say you know, is there a problem that I can solve? And then is the juice worth the squeeze for them? Um, but once they decide, okay, we're going to go through with this, we're going to integrate, um, we end up doing what's called a, a knowledge transfer training. So most assessment companies, like uh, everybody but Predictive Index, actually, um, just kind of, they'll have a consultant come in, they'll get the team leadership team together, they'll do some fun games showing the differences, and then they'll kind of like pack, pack up and, and leave, and everyone's excited for the day, but all those reports go into the little cabinet or the drawer and it's hard to it's hard to use that data functionally on a day-to-day basis without calling that consultant again saying hey we got a problem here can you do this on an ad hoc basis so the stuff we do at least with predictive index is we do a knowledge transfer training we take their entire executive team ceo down take their management teams and we basically transfer all the knowledge we train them about all the science behind it the behavioral uh patterns job targets, you know, how to best coach your existing team members to stretch to meet their behavioral requirements for the role. And it's a two-day training, two full days. And they come out of it, like, really confident in terms of knowing the the reasons why all of this stuff works and why all of it matters. And then they have access to, you know, uh, a, a dashboard with all the assessments, and they have a ton of different reporting so I've gravitated towards that, even though I'm a Colby consultant as well, just because it's a lot more scalable. And I believe I'd like to keep, I'd like to teach executive teams and companies to be effective and self-sufficient without me. So if I can do that, I've been successful. Of course, I sit on their bench and I, you know, they call me with all sorts yeah. of questions and I help out. But I, I like kind of like I like this model a little bit because I'm I'm literally developing the company's leadership team and that stays with them really it doesn't leave with me which is nice how often after that two-day training do you have to like consistently keep either adding more training or checking in with them so that way it actually sticks rather than just be that flash in the pan yeah i help them them roll it out and integrate it i do quarterly tune-ups and that's all included in it um we'll solve problems during the quarterly tune-ups and you know, do strategic planning for the next, you know, 60 to 90 days. So it's, it's, I'm still constantly involved, but on a day-to-day basis, unless it's a a challenging problem, they're really doing this kind of on their own. 
um, and they're, they are self-sufficient and they're confident in doing it. Um, so it works out pretty well, I think, for everybody. You talked about like you know making sure that you understand the role and the person that fits into that role. Do you do like a um, do you take the leadership team and then talk about all the different roles that are at the company and then try to like um, create like a, what the ideal role looks like so then that way the assessment can like actually like it can work like how do you for instance like as you say marketing manager how do you set up the role for a marketing manager and then when you test somebody or give them the assessment um, how does all that work? So marketing manager, we take the, the stakeholders, right? So um, we would take somebody who might be already doing the role. That's kind of a rock star that we'd want to model after. Then we take their manager. We take their manager's manager an executive overlooking the team. And then somebody from HR, usually an HR director. What if they don't have and, all those people on the team? Can you take other samples from other companies to like see what they look like? You could, and, but we, we, we create these from scratch. Mm. And the reason is because okay. a marketing director at your company is going to look different or have different needs and requirements than another company, just like a CFO at one company is going to be different than another. Um, so we do them from scratch. Anybody who's kind of a stakeholder that understands the role will have them take it. So if they don't have that you know, hierarchy and the official organization. Gotcha. So they'll ask but, questions about what they think the role should look like. You'll get like three or four people to like, you know, basically put their answers in and then you'll kind of like compute the data and come up with like an aggregate and then be like, all right, well, this is probably what the role should look like. And then when you yes. assess somebody, then you can see how they stack up against that aggregate of what it should look like in theory. Exactly, right? exactly. And it stack ranks mm. them. So this isn't the end all be all. Yeah. Of course, you want to look at, you know, are they a good culture fit? Do they fit the, the values of the company? You want to look at their resume um, and then the behavioral fit for the role. Those are the three components that you want to look at. Um, I'd argue that the behavioral fit and the uh, the values are probably more important than the resume itself, except for in specific positions. Um, as long as it's something, yeah. You unless you're like a heart surgeon, right? Then we'll take right, the, right. We'll, we'll take the resume of the heart yeah. surgeon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put, that back in. Put the resume back in. Uh, but anything you can teach, you know, you, so you, you you factor in all three. But it gives a score as well to see how close of a behavioral fit they are. And then there's one more component, which is, I wouldn't say it's controversial, but it's a, a general cognitive assessment. And you don't use this for all roles, but the really important ones. And what this is, is it's not measuring like IQ. IQ is kind of like the size of the sponge. This is measuring general cognitive ability and how quickly that sponge absorbs water. Um, so really, it's kind of measuring how quickly people learn new things. Mm. So it's not going to even dictate will you hire them or not. But if you've created a, gen, gen, uh, a GCA, a, a cognitive target for the role, and it requires a lot of new learning in a fast-paced environment, and maybe you don't have the time to train that individual or the, the bandwidth or the, the people yeah. to train them, mm -hmm. you might want to get somebody who picks things up a little faster. So right. They got a, yeah. They got a bigger figure it out factor, right? Like, you know, yeah. um, rather than like, like, yeah. Cause we're like, for instance, like our company, you know, it's only seven years old, but I still feel like it's new, right? There's still, you know, like if we were to hire an HR manager right now, we don't have an actual just dedicated HR person. You know, we kind of, right. you know, there's, the one, the one person like does the administrative part and then the other person does like, you know, this part. We kind of like, you know, patchwork the role together right now. But, you know, we don't know what that role looks like. So, you know, we would probably take the three or four people that, you know, they would take the, we would set the role up, right? And then when we go to hire someone, 
we'd want somebody that can figure it out because it's like, man, we've never actually like fully done it like a big corporation, right? So we right. want to use that type of data, right? If they have a, a okay, that's that's so fascinating. Yeah. So why doesn't every, why doesn't everybody do this stuff? I mean, it, there's a lot of one, a lot of lot of confusion out there. Um, a lot of people don't like the idea of putting people in boxes again, even in large companies. Um, but it's it's becoming more and more prevalent for sure. I think people are realizing that uh, you know if you're using good data, like we make we use data to make business decisions all the, on a day to day basis, right? But when we're we're hiring people, we just wing it based on a feeling like oh. It's, Seems like a good fit. I, I like. I like. Yeah. Them. Oh yeah. They were at the bar last night, man. I was talking. Yeah. They got great customer service skills, man. They'd be great here. You know, they want right. to. Yeah, yeah. Instead of yeah. making two hundred bucks a night in tips, you know, they want to come over here and you know just work a nine to fiver. You know, making the same two hundred bucks. Let's go. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it boggles my mind that we hire subjectively and don't use data. Um, but again, it's it's more and more people are using something. You know, Use some kind of data. I don't is care it le- is it like it's not illegal, right? Like you're allowed to do it, right? Like I've heard like there's you know that there's is there laws out there about this stuff or not really? Well, so this is where it gets it's it's interesting. This is where using the right assessment for the right thing is really critical. Um, having the scientifically validated behavioral assessments definitely covers you for hiring if you're using it. Now there's rules of. If I'm hiring for an HR manager, I have to give the assessment to every candidate. I can't just give it to the ones I like or don't like. You know, there's some some rules around that, some laws mm. around that. As long as you're using it consistently, you can't pick and choose who you're going to give the cognitive assessment to. If you're going to say, I'm giving the cognitive assessment to HR candidates, it has to be every candidate that applies for so that So you role. can't do like a first round of interviews, be like, all right, I'm narrowing it down to three, then give all three the... Oh, you can narrow it down, but it, but if you are narrowing it down to those three, you're going to have to give it to all three. Um, oh, and then behavioral assessment-wise, it's the same thing. You, you just have to use it consistently. But a lot of the other assessments, they have a ton of gold and value, but the problem is those change over time, uh, even test over test sometimes. So you can't rely on the data, number one, as much. Um, but number two, they're, they're, they're not designed to be used for hiring selection. So that's where you can kind of get in trouble if you're kind of, you know, force fitting one solution into some uh, space that it's not supposed to be in. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Cause I mean, I've learned a lot through disc, you know, like I know disc doesn't really measure your ability. You know, somebody could have the same exact disc and be completely two different ways right. about going about the job. So definitely learned a lot about that. I usually use disc on the, on the, uh, after the hire. Yeah. Just to see how, for people how to communicate with each other, right? Because that's yeah. why I love DISC, you know, just how do you respond to the other person that's not like you? Right. You know, how do you, and then also, how do you, without using the assessment, how do you determine within 30 seconds of a conversation what kind of person they are? So that way you can respond more appropriately, right? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, it, I think it's fascinating. Uh, predictive index, that's what it's called. Also, Colby. Um, so I yep. feel like that's good information that we learned today. Uh, if someone is interested in learning more about this, how would they find how would they find you or, or get more information? Yeah, either Brian Alexander on LinkedIn or expressingthegeniuswithin.com. It is the longest URL ever. All one word, spell it out, but you'll never forget it. So expressingthegeniuswithin.com. Dot com. That's your website. Yep. Yeah, that's my consulting company. I like Main that. Website. 
Yeah, I like that. So I appreciate you being on the show. I ask every guest five rapid-fire questions. Imagine yourself that you're going to be going off to this island by yourself. Um, kind of like think about Tom Hanks and Castaway, right? Like just you by yourself. <laughs> what book are you going to take with you? Oh, boy. What book am I going to take with me? That's a good question. Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. You are the first one I've ever had. I'm 50 episodes in, I feel like. Yeah. First time I've ever heard that. It's Outwitting a, it's a the Devil. Book. Incredible book. Right now one down. I have, to, I have to get that tomorrow. Uh, all right. What movie are you taking with you? Oh, man. These are tough. Uh, I was. <laughs> you're going to laugh. First one that comes to mind Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor? <laughs> <laughs> I love history. Yeah, being on an island, that'd be a little scary. Right, right. <laughs> um, all right, so all right, what restaurant would you have built there so that you could eat at every day? Oh, man, there's a Thai restaurant in Chicago suburbs that I've been going to since I was 17 named Siam House, and uh, that would be the one. I was, I was secretly trying to marry my youngest daughter to their grandson so we can get the family recipe. I'm, I'm still working on that. She's seven. We got time, but still got a little time. Been- Maybe give them the predictive <laughs> index and see if they qualify. You know? That's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, so we did book, we did movie, we did restaurant. You're allowed to take one vacation anywhere in the world. Where are you going to go for a week? Uh, Italy. Italy, nice. I love Italy. The whole place, or are you like a couple different cities, or like what? Uh, like a Malfi Coast, or or even Tuscany. All right. And then last question, you can spend 24 hours with any person ever in the history of the world, past, present, or future. Who do you pick? Wow. Uh, <laughs> another odd, I would pick Jesus. There you go. So you're going to take outwitting the devil with you, but you're going to spend the day with Jesus. So instead of taking the Bible and then having the devil come, <laughs> I see exact. I see exactly what you're doing there, Brian Alexander. There we go. Well, listen, it's been really fun uh, hanging out with you today, learning a little bit more about what you do. I really feel like the work that you do is important. Uh, I feel like over the next 20 years, you know, I feel like health and fitness was like the big thing in the first, you know, 20 years of 2000 to 2020. I think emotional intelligence. I think te- you know teamwork and communication is yeah. going to be what everyone's going to be talking about until you know at least 2040 until we start going to Mars. Um, so, you know, congratulations on being a, a pioneer in this space. I know that uh, you're probably going to be uh, overworked because there's going to be lots and lots of teams needing your help. So appreciate everything you do and uh, look forward to uh, learning more about it later. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. And if you got any value out of this podcast, please like, subscribe, comment below. Uh, Let us know you're listening. Reach out to us if you need anything, and we'll see you guys next Friday on another edition of the Big Fish Cares podcast. Thank you for listening to the Big Fish Cares podcast. It's our passion to help share stories and journeys, to help inspire optimism, to take action and accomplish your goals. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on the website at www.thebigfishcares.com. Find us on Facebook at The Big Fish Cares and on Instagram at bigfish.benny. See you next time.